Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back into Franchise Players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, a Friday that's loaded. We've got all kinds of folks on the show today. Stan Cotton, the voice of the Demon Deacons, is on with us to talk about those undefeated Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Adrian Snow, head coach of West Forsyth. Uh, football's going to be on to talk about one of the biggest rivalries in high school football that's going to be later on tonight, East Forsyth, traveling to the village to take on West Forsyth. Uh, Will McFadden from the Believe in uh, Falcons podcast to give us a little preview of Panthers versus Falcons. Candace Cooper's on talking ACC hoops. Joe Serrera's on talking about high school football. We got a loaded, loaded slate today. But of course, I got to start off with my guys. Got to start off with the panel. Brandon Blakeney reaching out all the way from North Dakota. And, uh, <laughs> and Jalen Gilkey from WFMY News. What's going on, fellas? How y'all doing? What's up? What's up? What's up, Dez? What's hey, up, man. Brandon? How we doing, baby? Hey, it's cold alive, out there man. now. It is. It's getting cold yet, oh, Brandon? Man, what's, what's making me mad the most, man, is it be like 50 during the day. It'd be like 20 at night when I'm out <laughs> shooting high school football. And they keep telling me it ain't even cold yet. Oh, no. It ain't cold yet, boss. It, it's about to get up. hectic. Stock up on some Vaseline and uh, some 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> gotta keep the <laughs> lips hydrated. I got yeah, like five man. pairs of long johns. I'm out there. My boy Jay told me to get a parker, so I'm gonna definitely I told you, I told that. you, you know, <laughs> yeah, and buy it up there. Like I said, like Cat Williams would say, don't buy it down here, buy it up there. Yeah, you ain't built for that life up there. <laughs> Uh, but nah, man, love having you on, man. Even though you're up in North Dakota on a different time zone, I still want to get in and, and join. Still working players. on that. Most still. deaf, most deaf. Still getting used to that hour. It don't sound like a lot, but <laughs> so I wanted to get in some NBA real quick. Uh, the first thing I wanted to start off with is a guy who's been a topic of conversation here on franchise players for going on three years now. Actually, from from the rundown to franchise players, and that's uh, Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. This I didn't realize it until I saw the blurb today on ESPN. He has missed sixty nine out of one hundred and forty eight potential games so far in his career. Can Zion still become the face of the NBA? Man, I think that he has the popularity, excuse me, and the league wants to push him in that manner because when Zion is on the floor, it has been rare lately, but when he is, um, all eyes are on him and he brings the ratings. But with that being said, I think he has the talent to be the face of the league. Um, you know, he was averaging, I think, around 27 a game last year when he was healthy. Uh, made his first all-star team. I think he led the league in uh, two-point field goal percentage. Like, the kid is a monster. He's a grown man, and he's one of the most exciting players to watch. But he's coming off of a foot surgery. And like you said, Desi, down there eating them gator bites, that gumbo down there. He done picked up some weight. (laughs) Somebody, There's been some reports saying he reported north of 300 pounds to – yeah, I saw saw a graphic today. I think it was uh, 318. I saw – Oh, 318? Oh, my gosh. Because Rod was trying to talk yeah. me off the ledge about him the other day. I was like, that's a left tackle in the NFL. He's like, he's yeah. like 265. I'm like, I don't think he is <laughs> anymore. Like, I think what we're seeing is how good the Duke medical staff is. Because when he was at Duke, like, by the time he left Duke, those chiseled images of him in the Pelican jersey or whatever, that was a result of being on Duke's campus for a year with that health team kind of guiding him, you know, the nutritionalists and all that good stuff. Once he left there, it kind of shows the stark difference between a place like Duke and a place like the New Orleans Pelicans, where but, it sounds like he's left up to his own devices a little bit, don't it? Absolutely. And just kind of piggyback off something you were saying there and kind of touching on. I do believe the Pelicans, they're owned by the same owners as the Saints. So they're really their second, you know, priority, yeah. clearly. And 
I believe they share all like trainers and medical staff. So like they don't have like independent entities with each. It's kind awesome. of an interesting situation down there. I do believe. So, so it's probably the trainer is probably somebody that deals with left tackles all the time anyway. <laughs> but so I, happens to be the one prescribing whatever for Zion for his foot. Yep. Yeah, but like Brandon was saying, he coming off another foot surgery. I mean, you know, I, I'm going to give him some time to see. I mean, it's tough to stay in shape when you had surgery on your foot. So, especially when you were a big body to begin with. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm going to cut him some slack with that. We're going to see what he comes back looking like doing, uh, off of rehab. And then, I mean, he averaged 27 a game last year. So it's like, I mean, yeah, when he's out there, he's a problem. Like, he, unstoppable. He, when he's he, out I mean, there. you can't, yeah. And, he, and he's kind of a throwback, too, to like back in the day. Like, he reminds me of like 80s, 90s, like interior players, like that would get down in a post and just get, you know, dirty with. It. Like, you knew he ain't going outside. He's, he's going to drop step you and either yamming on you or make you look stupid or go back up for a hard rebound. Hard left. He's going you know? hard left. Yeah. I mean, like, and I love it. I love that part of his game that he's so dedicated to it. I wish he was about a couple inches taller because then he would be literally unguardable but uh right now it's really more about the injury history because he's had multiple lower body injuries really since he got to the league and really before that because he hurt his foot um uh, freshman year uh at duke uh that carolina duke game um and to be honest thinking back on it that might have been the last time that we saw cameron indoor filled the capacity with like i mean former presidents were up in there you had you know celebrities in there i mean that that game was was crazy And he hurt his foot within like the first, you know, couple of possessions of that game, the the busted shoe game. Uh, and he he's always kind of had some kind of nagging injury. Even in high school, he had like some things going on. I'm more worried that the older he gets, y'all know how it is. Well, y'all don't know how it is yet because y'all still in that bounce back back. Y'all still young enough <laughs> where <laughs> you know y'all can do whatever. I mean, it's Jiho weekend. I know Jalen itching to go do something right at this very moment. You're still young enough where you can go do whatever your heart desires. And still wake up at, you know, mid morning, hey, mid afternoon, whatever, and be it good. Still take and a little, go. <laughs> it still take a little time to recover instead of that quick turn. I think about a day or two to recover now. I was gonna say Brandon has elevated to the next level where he's gotta kind of wait till about five, six o'clock, eat something, and then he's good to go. Yeah, wake up to my level where you don't even go out at all. <laughs> <laughs> refrigerator is eight feet away from me. I'm just going to stay here in the living room. I'm just going to watch the highlights on TV. Um, Jalen Gilkey and Brandon Blakeney in the house here with me doing a little NBA talk. Are y'all worried about the uh, actually two teams, the New Jersey Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers, two teams that we both kind of all kind of collectively picked to be favorites to get to the NBA finals this year. They're looking kind of rough starting off with the Nets. I know James Harden's coming off of rehabbing uh, the hammy that he hurt at the end of last year, but with no Kyrie and it doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon and Harden kind of playing a shell of himself. Plus I didn't realize the NBA changed their rules a little bit in off season so that you can't draw a foul anymore off of an unnatural right. basketball play. Right. That's 50% of Harden's game. But it's, well, it's I mean, yeah. line. cause you look at it. I mean, he was getting to the line, I think like 10 times a game last year. So when you take that away, yeah, that's I mean, like even the, life. Yeah. yeah, even the flop. I mean, you saw Jimmy Butler take my man's cookies last night, mm-hmm. and Harden looked like somebody had hit him with a Tyson uppercut. Like, <laughs> he looked just... right at the ref. <laughs> <laughs> he turned his head so fast to the ref, like, <gasps> and the ref was like, "What you want me to do?" He stole your cookies. So, I mean, I, and that to me, I think it's going to be for James Harden the combination of the hamstring and the rule change in particular. I think we're going to see a completely different James Harden and not necessarily a good James Harden, like more of a uh, not MVP level James Harden because most of his scoring was coming off of that whole, you know, dribble, 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 kind of lure him in, shoot the shot and kind of shoot into him, either hit it or get to the free throw line and and, and driving into the paint and kind of and, and listen contact. He's not going to get as many of those calls anymore. And that kind of leaves Kevin Durant on an island right now in New Jersey or Brooklyn, I should say. And uh, I don't think Durant signed up for that. Like, I don't think Durant thought when he went to Brooklyn that, you know, a year and some change into it, he would be the only star really that's really playing at a star level or even on the floor for that matter. So I know one thing, James Harden is probably one of the greatest scorers of the basketball and one of the most skilled players 
to ever touch a basketball. So I, I'm not concerned. I know his game will adjust and he'll just get back to what he was those first three years in Houston when he was just killing, you know, before he kind of found that loophole that he found and kind of that cheat code that he found. So I'm not worried about James Harden. I'm really not worried about the Nets still. I'm not worried about Kyrie. The Lakers, I really don't feel like – I felt like when they made all those free agent additions during the offseason that they brought too many bigs. They had too many pieces that really didn't fit together. And even though Russ is a point, he's a big the way he plays. So it's, it kind of – it doesn't really mesh that well because their best player isn't – a superb shooter so the spacing isn't really there um i I do believe i mean it's a lebron-led team so they'll definitely get to the conference finals for sure i don't know if they'll make it to the finals just because i don't know if all the pieces fit together but you can't say lebron's not gonna make it to the finals that didn't really you know make sense so yeah man this is a weird team yeah they're built kind of funny now that i've seen them on the floor and i agree with Jalen. they do have probably too many bigs. I didn't, I never caught what the reason was uh, earlier this week, Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard getting into it. What was that about? Do y'all know what they were fighting about? Have y'all heard anything? I heard it was the top 75 list, but I'm pretty sure that was a troll. <laughs> so I'm not really sure. <laughs> so what? But uh, about the NBA, you know, everybody spazzing about oh, the, the top, top 75, 75 list, man. Yeah. Like, like, like the naked and AD did, I think. So maybe, hey. Yeah, <laughs> which was disrespectful in itself because that's insane. It really was. Dwight um, Howard might be one of the greatest defensive basketball players of all time, and he's not in the top right. 75 players ever. Right. Like, right. I mean, even his – we could just base it off his Orlando Magic years solely. Yeah. He was top yeah. 75, in my opinion. But you look at the Lakers, man. Russell Westbrook had a really good game a couple of nights ago. Then he came back out and was on that, that BS again. Um, I think he's still trying to mm. find his role, and I think he's playing kind of timid with LeBron and AD both on the court. But I think it just it's like a puzzle that doesn't fit. He's still trying to carve out his role. I will say though, I have been impressed with Malik Monk. He's come up and made some big shots. And people that weren't familiar with him, we already knew being in the North Carolina area, we knew what the Lakers were getting absolute steal. But he's really opening some eyes across the nation. And I think he will be one of LA's favorites. I don't understand how they even landed Malik Monk. He's they're only having to pay him one point six million this year. Yeah, I, I would imagine though he. I, I would imagine his market wasn't that big for free yeah. agency. So well, this will help. I don't know. I think it was a one year deal. So this will help. Absolutely, and that was his plan. He's going to go to a championship contender, perform well in his role, and then get out of there. So speaking of uh, championship contenders, uh, we got some young young talent in the league right now. We're seeing some teams the first uh, week or so of the N- NBA season that are either picking up where they left off in the playoffs or. Uh, their their young stars have clearly gotten better. Who's most likely to win a title in the next five years? The Chicago Bulls, the Phoenix Suns, the Atlanta Hawks, the New York Knicks, or the Charlotte Hornets? Because all mm. of them got a reason to kind of look That's at them. Like, mm, I could see, like, I, like, like with me, like I'm looking at this Hornets roster. Right, they're four and one as we're doing this. They're going to be playing later on uh, tonight against the Heat. And they're playing like they were playing in the middle of last year before they started getting hurt. LaMelo has taken a leap. Like, I, I I felt out of those top three guys that were at the top of the draft last year, him, Anthony Edwards, uh, and uh, uh, James uh, Wiseman, I felt LaMelo was the one that had the star presence to him. Like, he had the ability to flip to a different level, and that elevates the team to a different level. Like, the teams that we all like are teams that have a guy on it that we feel like could elevate to that not just all-star, but like can carry a franchise type of situation. And LaMelo, I think he's there <laughs> like right now. Like he's kind of, he's kind of, he kind of took over the Cam Newton type role for a professional yeah. Charlotte. You know what I mean? Like I feel, I understand what you're saying with that. Yeah. Like he's, he's just, he's interesting. He's just, people are gravitating to him, but yo, Miles Bridges is playing out of his damn mind right now. I don't, no, I don't Miles know. Bridges is on pace <laughs> right, right now. 26 points a game. I mean, definitely got early uh, front running for I think it's a contract improve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, absolutely yeah. has to be a contract year. They, He's I think rebounding they the ball, man. They were trying to extend them before, and nothing really came of it. But uh, 
that whole conversation of who should they keep miles bridges or pj washington because there's a log jam right there at power forward i think miles decided to go ahead and answer that i mean uh, honestly with him playing that way though it feels like they might could get rid of mr glass gordon hayward and keep those guys and have mb slot over at the three I'm not really upset with having Hayward, to be honest. He kind of he's the elder statesman on this when, team. When he's when he's on the court, when yeah, he's, yeah, on, when the he's court. on the court, we gotta <laughs> hope he, you know, I, you know that the injury last year. I forgot what it was that put him out uh, for the rest of the year last year. I think it was a soft tissue ankle or something like that. But uh, Hayward's just had bad luck when it comes to injuries and stuff the past five or six years. But if he's out there, I mean, he's an all star to me. And to get him at, I think it was it nineteen twenty million per or whatnot. It, that I kind of wrinkled my nose when they re-signed Terry Rozier. That looks like that's going to probably work out. Uh, you got Lamelo on a rookie deal for the next like two or three seasons, and then you're going to have to cough up some cash for him. But yeah, I he like gonna he's, he going to hurt. Yeah, he, but, he, but he's saying <laughs> hey, give him whatever he wants. Yeah, for real. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let like, him leave. Wait on somebody. You've been waiting on somebody. There's like no way Mike lets Lamelo leave. Charlotte. And it seems ahead, like Max man, he's in a great market. He's got the signature shoe. He's got the city on fire. Like he's a, it seems like a loyal guy. Like he's saying all the right things to hold like on the, the sidelines. Oh like yeah, the shoes is fine. Yeah, Shout out like Mikey it. Williams just signed with Puma too. Puma really yeah, trying Puma's to capture the youth movement dang, going really? on. Yeah, Puma out here trying to do some stuff. Um, but yeah, so I mean, out of that group of uh, teams, who would you say would be more likely to win a title in the next five years? Because all of them got talent. The Bulls retooled their roster. Mm-hmm. They're as of this uh taping, they're the only undefeated team left in the NBA, and I would not have said that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we just saw the Suns make a run, um, although they are kind of screwing up the whole DeAndre Ayton uh thing by not extending him. I have no idea why they would not give that kid the max. Like, I, have I no mean, idea. I don't think they can afford him, and they just gave Mikael Bridges like a 90 burger, they overpaid for CP3. They gave CP3. The whole chicken. He got he got like eighty million. <laughs> three years. Hold it's on, gonna be me... like forty six or something crazy Hold when on. that that contract runs out. How is Chris Paul flipping all these deals late in his career? He just came off of like a like a two hundred million max deal that got traded three times. He got all every cent. He got every single cent of it. And y'all telling me he got he got the Suns to give him eighty million more? <laughs> yeah, crazy. man. So. He getting paid thirty million dollars this year. Wow, and that's a pay cut for him because I think he was getting close to forty last year. So he, he took in between little, him uh, and John Wall, man, them is two tough contracts oh, to swallow. Now John Wall different. John Wall. I mean, at least the Suns got to the finals talking. last year. <laughs> that's true, and they wouldn't have got to the finals without CP3. So we can. But I'm his work you, man, is, is there. They don't bring back eight, and I think their window closes. It does. Um, if yeah. I had to choose one for me. It would be the Bulls just because of the, the the mix of young talent and veteran leadership. And on the wing, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are an extremely serious problem. Um, you know, I'm excited. I've been excited watching them. They play fast. They've got depth. And Lonzo was the perfect point, man. They needed to just be that pass-first guard. But also plays really good defense and rebounds the basketball. Caruso's been pretty good for them. He's been fun to watch. Um, I think the depth, man, they, they're just going to run teams out of the gym, run them into the ground. Actually, I miss Caruso with the Lakers. Uh, I feel like that was something that they kind of homegrown and then let him go. They let him slide out the back door. But he did a lot of stuff that uh, doesn't get mentioned in the broadcast that made that team a better team. I'm actually going to probably lean towards the Knicks but just because they play defense. Uh, Tom Thibodeau, I like what they've kind of got in terms of talent. Um they, they, and they're kind of carrying over from last year. Julius Randle has kind of taken that step that I was just talking about. He's become one of those guys that you can build a franchise around. I don't know if anybody saw that when the Lakers. Man, we, we got to see. We got to see because he disappeared. He disappeared against yeah, the Hawks. He did a little. He did. And he guess did. what? That's my pick, the Atlanta Hawks. That ain't bad either. They, I got, mean, five, they got five problems. guys. They got five guys that's averaging double digits right now. And so, I'm loving what Cam Reddish is doing. Balling. 15 Man, a game. And I forgot about playing great defense. Well. Yeah, because he wouldn't really – Relieving some of that pressure off of Trey Young. Mm-hmm. I can see Hawks versus Hornets for the next and couple I, of years. And, that I, actually and I really wanted to agree with Brandon. Uh, the Bulls would have been my first pick, but I'll take the Hawks because they've been there already. They were close. Yeah. They, they, they were right there last year, so. Kind of seeing a changing of the guard a little bit right in front of us with uh, – 
with these young teams, it's not like a stranglehold of just LeBron and you know Kawhi and no, absolutely. Why are we playing this year? Yeah, or most of it, I would think. I, I would imagine. Yeah. Be the year, I mean, so. I wouldn't even take the Clippers over the Jazz right now, to be honest with y'all fellas. I don't have no, no. type of faith in Kawhi. Damn, I didn't even put. <laughs> the I mean, Kawhi Kawhi's out for how long? He what did as he long as he wants to be. <laughs> it's just gonna be sitting up in the, the rafters like uh like Sting back in the day. Just hey, gonna be my, up. my guy got an album dropping. He said, "Oops, on the back burner." Hold on, man. <laughs> I never trust the Kawhi. Like Kawhi been playing the whole league for like the past really since he got out of uh, San Antonio. He's been playing everybody. Uh, like he, uh, my understanding, Russell Westbrook's not very fond of him because he kind of played him and Paul George against each other. That's how Paul George ended up with a Clipper. Because uh, Kawhi kind of put all that together. So I mean, he's been out here messing with people's money, messing with people's lives. <sighs> but we'll see. I didn't even put Utah in that group of young teams. I should have definitely put them in there because they're probably going to be. In the uh, the NBA Finals this year, I would imagine at least Man, the Western I, Conference Finals. Yeah, I think John and them boys are probably a year away and probably a piece mm. away, but I think John right now is a top five point guard in the yeah. West. They need they need they need one more piece. Yeah, they need they, they need like a John Collins, Miles Bridges type of running mate. Well, they got Jaron Jackson. I think they need. He got to turn it on. He got to turn it on. Yeah, because yeah, it's not that, always that, there. Yeah, that's mistake, how Miles was. Though. I think it was a, a mistake them getting rid of Valanciunas, though. I thought that was a really so good too, for their squad. Yeah. Mm, well, they well, need, we up need another score. Go ahead, Jay. Let me finish talk. I was going to say, we up against a break. So I was going to let you finish. I was going to say, that's all I was going to say. And Valanciunas <laughs> brought a score. Th- so, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, we, this we is good, the we first good, week. Good. I'm, I'm excited about the NBA. This is the first week of the season. And I'm, I haven't been this geeked about a regular season in a long time, probably since Jordan was running around or Shaq and Kobe. So, Trying to keep track of everybody. My, my Hornets are going to be on national TV tonight, taking on the Heat on ESPN at 7.30. But y'all aren't going to be watching that because y'all are going to be listening to high school football on uh, WTOB and WCOG. We'll get into all of that a little bit later on. Stan Cotton coming up next, the voice of the Demon Deacon. So stick around. You're listening to Franchise Players on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back into Franchise Players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. The Wake Forest Demon Deacons showing out a bit, 7-0. and They are undefeated at this point of the season uh, for the first time since World War II. Who better to talk a little Deacon football than the voice of the Deeks, Stan Cotton, joining us here on Franchise Players. What's going on, brother? I haven't talked to you in a minute. I know. Hey, Des, how you doing? I thought you were going to say, who better to talk about World War II than me? I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm getting on up there, Des, but I'm not that old now. No, no, not at all, my <laughs> friend, not at all. Uh, so Wake Forest, 7-0, and dropped the 70 burger last Friday. Uh, what's the Stan, what's the first word that comes to mind when you try to describe this football team this year? Like if someone you that you had never met before, a stranger, uh, you had to give an elevator pitch to someone, you know, what what word would you use to describe this Wake Forest Demon Deacon football team up to this date? You know, the first one that comes to my mind, Des, would be opportunistic. I mean, it really has been a team that has taken full advantage of seemingly every opportunity that's been presented. Uh, case in point, last week against uh, Army, that, that was a game that could have easily been lost. But Wake took advantage of a couple of turnovers against an Army team that's one of the better programs in the country and not turning it over. But the Deeks got a couple of takeaways, turned them both into points. And in a game like that where you're pretty much just swapping touchdowns all day long, that's what you needed to, to win the game. A lot of uh, weight teams in the past probably would have lost that game. And most teams, when they go to Army, don't come away uh, with a win. The Cadets had won 13 straight games at home uh, going into that one last week. And Wake found a way. Uh, and that's kind of been the way this season has gone. I mean, the Deeks have lost some, or rather have won some real close ones, final seconds of the game against Louisville, walk-off win against Syracuse. So just they get this tiny little crack, and, and, and they bust through it. And, you know, when you have a special year like this one has been so far, who knows what's going to happen down the road. But when you have a special year, you look back 
always without question. And you, you can point to games like last week, like Syracuse, like uh, other ones. And, you know, you, you just find a way to somehow come out on top. And, you know, that's still the bottom line, right, to, to have at least one more point uh, than the other team. And, and Wake's found a way to do that seven times. Wake has never been 8-0, ever, and a chance to do that this week with a win. Uh, facing Duke this Saturday uh, at Truistfield in Winston-Salem, 4 o'clock p.m. Our man Stan Cotton will be on the call uh, for Le- Learfield. Uh, Wake is ranked 13th in the country. That's also the highest it's been ranked in over 60-plus years. What's the pulse of the fan base right now? Because I, I catch a vibe that while Demon Deacon Nation is very excited about this football team, they're also very cautious to get ahead of themselves. Uh, what's the what's the vibe that you're catching from uh, – the Demon Deacon fan base right now. Yeah, I think you've kind of got your thumb on the pulse pretty squarely, Des. I mean, you know, and, and Coach Clawson has said himself, look, Wake Forest can lose the rest of the games on the schedule. Wake Forest can can lose them all. Wake can win them all, too. And that's just that's just kind of the way it is. The Deeks have a team that can compete with anybody in the league. Uh, but, you you know, you have to go play them out. You have to see what, what shakes out. You have to play uh, 60 minutes. And you just, you know, the ball's not round. You don't know how it's going to bounce. You don't, you know, you can't factor in weather. You can't factor in injuries because you don't know any of that kind of stuff uh, until it actually happens. And so, you know, we'll see. But uh, I think the Wake fans are guardedly optimistic. I mean, this obviously when you're seven up through seven, you're feeling pretty good about things. Now, you only have two more home games. You've got Duke this week and then uh, State a couple weeks. But, you know, you've, you've got road games after that and, and, and sprinkled in. So, you know, you just – on the road, it's always tough. But, it, you know, it's and it's hard to win any game. It, it really is. Uh, and, and, again, you just have to go back to last week against Army and see how hard it is to win. Now, Army is a bit of an outlier because of the option attack and, and the way they – play the game much, much differently than, than most teams that wake will play. But uh, you know, you, you just got to go play and, and find a way to get it done. And again, as, as we've talked about, that's what wake has been able to do at least through the first seven weeks. On the line with us, Stan Cotton, voice of the Demon Deacons. Uh, Stan, I'm, so I'm going through what they've done so far over the past seven games in terms of offensively and just kind of looking at the numbers here. Uh, quarterback Sam Hartman's having a fantastic season. He's completing 65% of his throws. Uh, he's already thrown for over 2,000 yards this season. Uh, 19 touchdowns to three interceptions, which is a fantastic uh, TD to interception rate. Uh, is this the most explosive Demon Deacon offense that you've seen during your time covering uh, Wake Forest? Uh, what is it that allows Wake to score so many points? Well, certainly uh, Sam Hartman and company are, are right up there. Uh, obviously, the teams back in 06, 07, you know, when, when Wake won an ACC championship with Jim Grobe, you know, Riley Skinner was the quarterback and he put up some impressive uh, numbers and still Hartman is is chasing Riley Skinner for, for all-time touchdowns, but he's certainly within striking distance. I think he's within eight uh, and, and that – you look at it and you wonder how in the world can Sam Hartman not break the, the total touchdown uh, record. But this is a team that without question has uh, an awful lot of, of weapons offensively got a defensive, or rather a, an offensive back room that is four or five deep. You've got a receiver group that my goodness, just one right after the other steps up every, every week. And, you know, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's not Jacory Roberson, it's A.T. Perry. If it's not Perry, it's, it's Taylor Morin. Uh, Donald Stewart's a big, tall transfer from Stanford uh, that can play. Jamal Banks is a, a a young player, but another one of those kind of like Perry or Stewart guys. He's he's six four, six five, and if you just watch him in practice, you wonder how in the world he doesn't have more than a couple of catches. Uh, but he's had great practice weeks. I mean, I, if if Wake sustained a couple of injuries, they would have absolutely no problem throwing Jamal Banks in there. Uh, and, and having great confidence that he could get it done. So, you know, just a lot of experience. I don't think there's any question, Des, that this is the deepest team that Dave Clawson has had uh, in his eight years. And, you know, used to in years past when you when you got past Wake's 
first level at a good number of the positions. There was a drop off in talent and certainly from from the second wave to the third, but now not so much, uh, if any, from first down to two. I mean, uh, they're just deep at a lot of positions, maybe as deep along the defensive front as they've been under Coach Clawson at one position group. And, you know, we've already talked about uh, running back and receiver. Uh, so I just – I don't know. I feel good about this team. And, you know, last week defensively gave up a lot of yards, gave up a lot of points, got some guys banged up. And, you know, you had to have a, a deep roster to sustain some of what they had to go through uh, last week. And I'm not sure how many of the guys that got banged up will be back this week against Duke. So, you know, you, you just have to have – uh, depth to have a special year, and and we'll see how that plays out the rest of the way. I'm I'm glad you mentioned the defense because I did have uh, written down that the Wake Forest defense has given up over 500 yards of total offense in each of its past three games. Is that a cause for alarm or nah? Yeah, you know, I think if you just look at it on paper, you might go, uh oh, that's a trouble spot. Um, but and when we were with Coach Clawson earlier this week on his radio show, there was a a question about it. It's like you know, good grief coach, what's going on? And it, his answer was interesting. And he said, look, you have to judge things uh, under uh, the full scope of, of what you're trying to get accomplished. Right. And he said, look, w- with the kind of offense we have quick strike, don't hang on to the ball very much. Your defense is going to be on the field a lot, a lot of snaps. Therefore, maybe compared to a team that's not, that hangs on to the ball offensively a little bit more, your defense is going to be asked to play more plays. Therefore, it's just – it's obvious they're going to give up more yards. Uh, and he says, look, I, I judge things on points we give up, uh, you know, red zone situations, those types of things. Uh, and, again, uh, the bottom line is, is coming out with more points than your opponent. And I think he feels – you know, good about his defense. Now they didn't feel good at all uh, about what happened against against Army. They got gashed a lot and just didn't have many answers for the cadets. But I mean, look what this team did against Virginia uh, and, and the kind of team that Virginia has proven to be. I'm not sure anybody, you know, defended Virginia as well as as Wake has. So you know, there are certainly good defensive players on this on, on that side of the ball. And and I think overall, when you look at the body of work. You know, Wake is still one of the better scoring defenses in the ACC, and Coach Clawson feels good about it, but certainly not last week. Uh, and there are a couple of uh, defensive uh, uh, stands or try to stands against Syracuse that didn't work out uh, well. But by and large, I think he feels pretty good about where the defense is. And when you compare it to the kind of offense Wake has, that's where he, he feels good uh, about things overall. You know, it was crazy when I saw that box score go by Saturday of last week. I thought it was a college basketball scrimmage score. Um, <laughs> I was producing the anti-football game while it was going on, and uh, I saw it come across. I was like, what? 70 to 58? Is that even – is that correct? <laughs> is that a typo? Then I got a chance to see some of the highlights after the fact. Um, this uh, this Wake team, to me, they feel so old. You know, like they feel like an older veteran type of team. Like you're not going to have a whole lot of flash and things like that with it, but they just, they've been there. Like I think this, I think Wake is one of the top teams in the country with like the super seniors or what, or whatnot. And the way Clawson runs this program, he kind of already had super seniors in the program anyway. They were going to be fifth year seniors. He kind of always red shirts the freshmen and then, uh, you know, they're there five years. They get that extra year uh, eligibility with the COVID stuff from 2020. So they've got how many guys do they have that are six year seniors on this team? I was you, to- I mean, you've got six and seven year players. It's <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, you know, case in point, a guy like Miles Fox who transferred in from Old Dominion. This is his seventh year playing college football. Wow! So he's uh, like twenty five. I guess it's, so it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and you know, a lot of teams have five six year guys. I don't, I'm not sure how many have seven years, but. Uh, it, it's you know it's that way across the country, and, and Coach Clawson was talking about this and how it would affect college basketball, the landscape of it. Way back in the summer, he said you're going to see a lot of really good college football this fall because most teams are older than they ever have been, and certainly that's the case 
uh, at, at Wake Forest with all the super seniors. And, and uh, so I, I think you're certainly seeing that from Wake. It's an experienced team. As we've talked about, it's a deep team. And, you know, Dave Clawson just felt at, at fall camp, we're going to be pretty good. The rest of the league's going to be pretty good. How good is it going to be? How are we going to stack up? That's always the, the $64,000 question. And so far, Wake has answered the bell certainly well enough to, to be, uh, you know, a highly regarded uh, team with, uh, you know, five more, five more games to go. So I don't want to, uh, we're not going to go to that whole, you know, what if college football playoff conversation because we still got, you know, five weeks to go pretty much before we even get there and a whole lot can happen before then wake has done an excellent job putting themselves in the driver's seat for the ACC. However, uh, the only undefeated team left in the conference, uh, it may hurt them that uh, I don't know if there's any other teams currently ranked, uh, or will be ranked by the time they face them. I should say, uh, with Clemson dropping another game last week, uh, NC state actually losing as well. Uh, and, and Carolina going through their, their woes, uh, up and down every other week. It feels like, it feels like wake is the most, uh, I'm trying to think of the word to use. Uh, the one team you kind of can depend on to at least be competitive every game. Uh, because as you said, they've had they've won in a variety of ways. They you know they've had walk offs. They've come from behind. They've they've uh, blown people out. Uh, so it's not like it's necessarily like this juggernaut of a team. It just feels like they're kind of learning how to win in multiple ways. And those end up being my favorite teams. Those are the ones that tend to go pretty far because they've kind of gone through the gauntlet and have learned how to address adversity as it hits them throughout the season. Do you feel like you've watched this team grow from week one to now, or do you feel like they came out of the gate like this and they've just maintained it? You know, in a lot of ways, I think they came out of the gate, a a pretty confident team, as we've talked about an older team and with, with experience and and age comes a little bit of, you know, Hey, this is not, not the first time we've lined up. And, and so there was a, you know, that kind of confidence, I think, built into this team. Uh, but it's just a, it's just a real steady, consistent team. Pretty good balance um, uh, on, on offense and defense. We've talked about, you know, the way they, they play defense a little bit. Um, it, it's a team Desmond that values the football just does not turn it over. You talked about some of uh, uh, the interception numbers of, of Sam Hartman. He just doesn't throw them. Uh, and, and Wake does not fumble the ball, uh, lost two all year. Wow. Wake, Wake's plus 10 in turnovers on the season. And that's, you know, when you think about – I'm going to sound like a coach now, but when you think about offense, defense, special teams, turnovers, uh, you know, if you can win two or three of those battles every week, you're going to win a game. You're, you're going to win the game, especially – Turnovers are so crucial. I mean, that's the reason why Wake beat Army. Outside of that, I mean, the Deeks, I mean, let's face it, threw up a defensive stinker last week against the triple option, had no answers, but offensively kept pace and then found a way to take the ball away a couple of times against a team that's very stingy with it. That was the difference of the game. So this is just a balanced team, one that I think reflects the personality of its coach, not too high, not too low, pretty steady across the, the bow there. And I think yeah, more times than not, that that's a really good thing because when you, you know, get to the fourth quarter and, and so many of these games do, you, you've got to balance and Hey, we've been here before we we've come out on top before we know how to get this done. And I think that is paying some, some pretty big dividends for Wake uh, so far anyway. The Wake uh, taking on Duke 4 p.m. on ACC Network. Uh, you can also listen to that broadcast through uh, Learfield Sports. Stan Cotton, voice of the Deacons, will be there. Uh, the Deeks trying to go to 8 0 for the first time in school history. Uh, so this is a big deal. Uh, I, I kind of expect the Deacons to, to, you know, come out of this with a win. It's at home. Like you said, one of two remaining home games they have left. Uh, this Duke team is. Uh, they, I think Wake matches up very well against them in terms of being able to pull out a victory here. But, of course, we can't look ahead. Uh, and I do catch that vibe from the fan base, the coaches, from everyone kind of involved at Wake Forest right now that they're just trying to take it one week at a time, even as the national media is starting to, you know, 
gravitate towards this Demon Deacon team. Stan, it's been fantastic. I always love talking to you, especially about Demon Deacon stuff. We got basketball coming up here, what, like in like a week? <laughs> oh, yeah, November 10th, the opener, but, you know, the exhibition game against Winston-Salem State on the 5th, so here we are. Yeah, it's, it's time to double dip. Gosh, so yeah, we'll, I'll definitely be talking to you again here soon as uh, Wake and uh, second-year head coach Steve Forbes take the uh, the court Finally, with a crowd in the Joel, I know he's looking forward to that. And uh, I know you guys, too, are looking forward to that. Last year was crazy calling games without crowds, uh, especially in the arena. So uh, definitely, definitely we'll be back in touch with you here soon. And uh, everybody root for Wake Forest to get to 8-0 uh, this Saturday. You bet, Des. We appreciate it. It's always fun talking to you. You always do your homework, and we appreciate that. And uh, it's it's been a fun time in Winston-Salem uh, this fall, and we hope that continues, obviously. And uh, Coach Forbes, I think, is going to get it done at Wake. should be fun. Winston is always a funner spot when Wake is winning stuff. Like you whether bet. it's football or basketball, the city just kind of takes a different type of feel to it. So you can kind of feel those vibes right now. So uh, it's awesome that Wake is doing this right now. Appreciate you, Stan. You bet, Des. Thank you. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. In professional sports, a franchise player is an athlete who is not simply the best player on their team, but one that the team can build their franchise around for the foreseeable future. Welcome back to Franchise Players here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, your home for Triad Sports coverage. Don't forget, we've got two of the biggest high school football games in the state tonight right here on Tobacco Road over on the WCOG side. Undefeated Grimsley taking on undefeated Northern Guilford. That game will determine the Metro 4A Conference champion and probably give a one seed to the winner for the state playoffs starting next week. That game will kick off at 7.30. Pre-game with Ryan Stone and J.P. Mundy at 7 p.m. Over on the WTOB side, East Forsyth taking on West Forsyth. Myself and Coach Josh Resignalo from the Carolina Cobras will be on the call for that one. Same deal, 7 o'clock pregame, 7.30 kickoff. That's on WTOB, 980 AM, 96.7 FM in the triad. And, of course, you can stream both of those live off of your hip at TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Joining me right now, she is the host of the Locked on ACC podcast, Candace Cooper, returning to franchise players. What's going on, Candace? How you doing? Not much, Desmond. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the opportunity to get a chance to talk about the ACC, but more importantly, talk about it with my friends. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been a while since uh, we've had a chance to really talk ACC hoops because, you know, I think I kind of erased last year out of my memory, like control alt deleting <laughs> out <laughs> because it, yeah. it was actually looking back on it. It was kind of bad. Uh, well, not even kind of. It was really bad for the ACC. I think we were all in a COVID fog or something, but. To you, how bad was the ACC last year? Uh, for those yep. who don't remember or choose to have forgotten, no ACC <laughs> team received the top three seed in the tournament last year. Uh, Florida State and Virginia got four seeds. Carolina and Georgia Tech were out after the first round. And Duke didn't even make the tourney. So what was the deal yeah. last year? What, what do you think was going on? Yeah. I think the adjustment of we thought we would get things together in terms of COVID and people thought, okay, we'll figure it out because of football season and then slowly approaching things weren't quite coming together as they thought. <laughs> but you talk about the transfer portal being wide open, guys having the opportunity to go play, stay, opt out, all of those sorts of things. You know, they were definitely living in a time that they were never had never. And we have a lot of senior coaches who were used to a certain system having to adjust not only from a style of play, but you weren't able to get in with these players like they were used to, right? You can't have the summer try or not even tryouts, but practices. You can't pour into the guys in the same way. Everything was virtual. This is different when you're chewing out somebody <laughs> via Zoom. <laughs> and you're you're figuring out how to talk to them and you know mentor to them in person. So I think that played a lot of it. I was listening to Coach Ford from Lake Forest, and he was talking about how he had hadn't been yet to some of his players' houses and met their families still, even still in 2021, right? So that's a huge you know reality of trying to recruit, trying to bring these guys in and see if they're legit. Some people worked out, some people didn't. So you saw a lot of turnover, and then again, everyone was just trying to survive, and so some people you know made it out like bandits and others just really struggled. And I think we saw that with the ACC, like nothing was the same and it proved itself evident as the NCAA tournament was one of the worst that we've seen as a conference. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's crazy, you know, to think back. Baylor is the defending national champion. <laughs> it just sounds weird to me. Yeah, <laughs> the, right? Baylor's holding the crown though. But yeah, you know, it's funny. I remember something that Roy Williams said uh last year where he was talking about the freshmen that were coming in. And we maybe we're about a month or so into the season. He was like, you know, guys, we're kind of living isolated. We're we're in a hotel, we're kind of off by ourselves. Yeah. My freshmen don't even know where the library is, you know, like, and, and it's yeah. like you start thinking about that kind of stuff where, you know, these kids pick these schools, Duke, Carolina, Wake Forest or whatever. They pick them for specific reasons. And when they arrived on campus, a lot of those reasons weren't available anymore. You know, you're not able to walk the quad. You're not able to walk down Franklin Street without a mask on. You're not able to, you know, walk around Duke's campus and then really enjoy college life. So a lot of those kids didn't get a chance to have that last year. But Things are different now. You know, we've kind of yeah. rounded the corner and uh, thankfully so. Things are looking up for the ACC this year. I'll just start off with a big question for you. Who's your preseason pick for ACC player of the year and why? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, I think based on everyone's sentiments, Paolo Banchero is going to be a big leader. I personally would love, this is me being a homer completely, Armando Baycott to step up in a big way. I know Garrison Brooks last season was preseason player and didn't quite live up to those expectations, but I have really high expectations for Armando, right? Some games we saw him be completely dominant and then others we saw him completely go missing, but you have now have someone across the corner eight miles down the road in Paolo who is bringing a new set of life and energy into that Duke program who has a lot to play for wanting it to be or it having it be Coach K's last season and so you know you, he, they all want to take it to the next level so I think between those two you're going to see some really good competition in terms of just trying to make their teams be the staple in the, the face of the conference this year. How um how confident are you in first year head coach Hubert Davis and the Carolina Tar Heels? Uh, speaking of which, Hubert, he's going to get the uh, he'll actually have a crowd with him. I think this would have been a lot more difficult if we were still doing the no crowd thing. And I'm going to talk about that in just a bit. But uh, we should be back to normal, so to speak, as we start this season. What are your thoughts on Hubert and the things you've seen, the kids that he's brought in uh, and the things he's saying about basically they're they're not necessarily abandoning the the traditional Carolina two big men run, run, run type of system. But they are kind of extending that out a bit to kind of adapt to today's game. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think it can work with the uh, the roster that Carolina currently has? Yes, I think Hubert has been really adamant about keeping it in the family and wanting it to be Carolina style, Carolina way. And while I do think that's good, I'm hoping to see a little bit of his flavor and flair to this. And I think we've seen a lot of good with his recruiting styles and the additions that he's brought on with Dawson Garcia and Justin McCoy and Brady Man Brady Manick, I think those are going to be the big kind of talks around can they flow into the system nicely and just keep bring back what we're used to seeing Carolina do. So I'm excited for him. Um, I'm a little anxious only because again, when you have someone who says like we're not going to change much, it's like, well, there there was a reason why we shouldn't do the sa same things and have the same style of play and save our timeouts till forever, right? There's a reason we should probably have better conversations and think of strategically run these guys to the ground and make sure that our defense is sound and that we're grabbing these rebounds like that has to be something that I know been preached about that system since forever and I hope it continues to be the same way it seems like from stuff coming out of uh, out of the practices uh and friend of the program Brendan Marks uh, from the athletic uh, he's been on a few times as well since Hubert was hired and we'll probably have him on in the next week or so but he's kind of echoed the same type of thing where uh, some of the same elements are still there. There's a lot more spacing uh, and Armando's not going to have to really battle for space with another big man because the big men they did bring in like Brady Manic are really more uh, like stretch type four type guys that are not going right. to really be patrolling around the paint as often. Although, if I'm not mistaken, uh, speaking to uh, my buddy BDOT, he was saying during the um, the uh, late uh, late night HD that Armando was shooting threes. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to picture it. But it seems like that would fit in <laughs> with what they're and kind you, of doing. And, you know, it's absolutely late night, right? So I think it's one of those things. Or sure, why not? Let's get the people going. Yeah, Let's get that's what I was hoping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we need, our, we need our big man down there making sure he gets those uh, rebounds and being able to just be a big a fake center, but, you know, being a strong yeah. power forward. <laughs> the last thing I want is Armando jacking a 40-foot three-pointer with, like, 20 seconds on the shot clock just because the game is going. Um, 
<laughs> give me bully give me bully ball all day long right yes. give me that aggressive play i i need that more right i who was my guy was it will is it will green was that his name what i can't even think of his name. i need tattoo ish ty lawson you know just a little oh, more aggression uh, type you mean like uh you like, will graves? About. like will graves yes will yeah. graves there we go Knew like, you want troublemakers. That's what you- <laughs> willie g i need some troublemakers back i need some guys who are just like willing to like you know stretch it kind of close stress huber out like I need those guys back because I think they bring a, a certain energy to the team. Like I, you know, I love having the great, great guy. I think Justin McCoy fits that, you know, narrative nicely, but man, I just, I want to see some aggression and really wanting to play for Carolina in a way that it's not going to come easy. Everyone loves beating you. We saw that last year, right? Mm-hmm. They love nothing more than to say they beat a Carolina team. So play with some pride. You know, that's funny too, because, um, uh... That's the one thing I was worried about when uh, Roy stepped down. You know, I was like, well, it's got to stay in the family because if it's outside the family, I'm worried that that Carolina drive will be missing. You know, it's like when somebody comes mm-hmm. in like they're with right now in the ACC where they're talking about moving the headquarters potentially out of Greensboro and uh, the current commissioners from Chicago. Like he doesn't really know. <laughs> doesn't get it. Yeah. Is. Yeah. You know, and while I get it that, yeah, maybe, you know, the ACC, of course, has grown so much now that. Maybe it's outgrown Greensboro. I, I do fear that if they leave Greensboro, it'll be more of an excuse for them to never come back for the ACC tournament and things of that sort. They'll have a museum here and that kind of thing. But <laughs> I, it looks like they're going to probably move to Charlotte or someplace like that. And I, I worried about that until they announced that it was going to be Hubert. And I kind of felt like, OK, it'll be the same with a little bit of, you know, a little bit of Old Bay on top of it. He'll we'll sprinkle a little bit of seasoning <laughs> on it. it. It'll look the same, <laughs> but it's going to taste yeah. a little bit different. I'm hoping that that'll right. be the case. Um, who are your top three teams going into the ACC season uh, this year? Oh, man. I definitely feel like Duke has to be in the conversation, right? They're, they're a must-win and going to have high energy throughout the year, only because of the narrative that we've created with it being Coach K's last year. I think Florida State is someone that – they have, you can never count them out, right? Hamilton is going to be dealing with a lot of new players, but they've got seven footers who can shoot, right? Really yeah. good class. I also think that Virginia is Virginia. They've start, certainly made a name for themselves to be consistent. Ken Bennett kind of keep the ball rolling there. And um, with Kia, Kia, is it Kai? Mm-mm, there it is. Clark. Mr. Yeah. Clark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Clark, can he lead the team this season? But I don't want to count out Carolina. I don't have them in my top three, but. I absolutely believe that it's Duke, Florida State, and Virginia that are going to be making noise and everyone else. But I I think overall it's going to be a lot stronger than we saw last season because if you even look at NC State, right, they have a lot of grid players and Manny Bates coming back. He is a dominant force, and you just can't count them out. Even when Coach Keats was talking at tip-off, like, don't consider us the third best in the state. Like, we're vying for an opportunity. And when you look at Coach Forbes, Wake Forbes was in a lot of those games last season. And, of course, it comes with just being a new coach, learning new guys. And there was definitely times where you're just like, yeah, give it time. And I'm thinking about football coach Halfley. Right. He had an opportunity to bring in a field Jerkovic who hadn't learned to play. But like if you just give people time. There's the ceiling really is the roof. <laughs> there's so many opportunities to see greatness. And I think that you just can't ever count any ACC team out. But I think that's what makes it fun for us, because I'm I, like we said last year, it was just very disappointing. And, you know, you see a team like Clemson beat Carolina and have oh, it play gosh. close. Like, I pull, I'm ready for some. <laughs> Yeah, we see we all like to put a lot of things we suppress. We don't want to remember. But I think it's an opportunity to see some really good basketball this season because everyone gets like we're all in the same playing field. Um, We all have an opportunity to bring in some great guys. It's just about how now how do you utilize and capitalize on these moments every single conference game? See, this is why I like having Candace Cooper on franchise players because not only did she answer the question effectively, she efficiently knocked out two future questions I was going to ask her in the segment regarding Wake Forest and NC State. I love it. I love it. I love it. Follow her on yeah. Twitter. Follow her on Twitter at Candace D. Cooper. Um, I, I've asked almost everyone that's been involved in sports to a certain degree this question because it's really weighed on me. And that was what I hinted on earlier in the segment. And that was uh, crowds. Crowd participation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, besides doing this show every week, I, I do a lot of play-by-play, uh, in particular in the high school world. And last year was really rough because although they did let the kids play, which was great, in the beginning there was no one allowed in these stadiums. And then they mm-hmm. opened it up to like 100 people, which is, you know, honestly in a high school stadium, that's nothing. It's literally like the staff that's out there. Right. 
Right. So they never really got the full amount of it until we got to about the I think it was like the the regional finals of the state playoffs was when they finally opened the gates back up again. So we're talking like we were in May, I think it was at that point, like mm-hmm. early May when that first started. So in the basketball uh, world, though, NBA was a little different because I kind of got used to the bubble. It was actually kind of mm-hmm. cool. It was kind of like a Thunderdome type thing with the screens and all that kind of stuff. And I, after a while, I got used to it. College basketball, though, I think suffered more than any other sport without the fans. And you don't have to look any further than Duke University. I, I am under mm-hmm. the impression, especially after last year, I've always thought it, you know, just growing up here in the area. But last year, it was like my thesis statement got a chance to be proven. I've always thought Cameron <laughs> Indoor Stadium is good for at least six or seven wins every year with the crowd. Yeah. Do, would you agree yeah. with that after watching Duke kind of, you know, falter last year and losing so many games, big games they normally would pull out at home, uh, like Illinois earlier in the year last year, and they just lost those games. And some of those games, they weren't really very competitive. They just didn't look like Duke at all. Would you would you say that they're going to have a bounce back highly more so off of the class coming in or more so the environment that's returning? Yeah, see, I think Mark Williams, I think Paolo, I think all of those guys are definitely due for a big year, Wendell Moore. He is absolutely feeling that energy and he knows what it you know feels like to have crowds. So I think that it's really important for them to just feed off of that and really make that a part of their gameplay, use that to their advantage. They're going to have to because it was dead. And you just, I mean, it's hard to be isolated in Durham, North Carolina. Like as much as we love it, Duke is not exactly... Well, maybe I'm starting to be advice here. Let me be quiet. I think that <laughs> it's hard to be, you know, in that spot and kind of just not have the people who are used to hyping you up on campus and making you feel like the man everywhere you go, right? You don't have the same vibe. You're just going to practice, looking at a computer screen. And so they just didn't get into what Duke seems to be all about, especially for these ball players. So I think that going into this year is absolutely going to be their advantage, but they're hungry. Like they want to make sure that Coach K goes out on top because that was already the expectation. Let's say, you know, he did decide to play to coach for five more years. So it was already an expectation you go into season national championship or bus. Like that's it. But now yeah. you know you don't want to be the team that did not give Coach K his last one. Or you did not even like let's say beat Carolina in uh Cameron on their mm. last game of the year, right? Like you don't want to be the team that get, gave it away. And so I think it's an added pressure, but they've bought in because of how Coach K has really told the story of I don't want to address this being my last year every single time. I get it. I, it's my last year. Let's move on. So he really wants to give all of that time into these players and give them their just due. And I think that Shire is going to pick up right where he left off. I don't see that being much of a shift. You know, we talk about more things change, stay the same. So I think they're fine, but it's going to be about how much they can dial in and not get overly emotional out the gate. So I think the first couple games, it'll be shaky. But as they find their their rhythm, I think they're going to dominate a lot of teams as opposed to what they did last year. Yeah, it's crazy. The last time I really remember Cameron really being uh, just like packed, rocking, filled with stars, was that Zion game, the the Zion yeah. shoe game where <laughs> Obama came and like uh yeah. blew a shoe out first couple of minutes. But that that was 2019. <laughs> that was over right, 700 right. days ago, like the last time we saw Cameron bouncing up and down like that. So I personally can't wait. And, and even though I'm a Carolina fan myself, it's always been on my bucket list to go to Cameron to watch a Duke Carolina game uh, yeah. just because of the atmosphere and everything else. So it was I got, it was jarring watching it last year on TV. <laughs> like, like it felt like I was watching a YMCA pickup team in a gym <laughs> when I was watching <laughs> games last year. Because all you were, like, you know, it was the squeaking of the basketball. It sounded like a gym. It sounded like you were yeah. in on like a Saturday afternoon, uh, thirty-five mm-hmm. and up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like I, I, feel I, like, <laughs> I feel like Caleb Love is probably like, yeah, I could do without fans because he literally lit it up. <laughs> he lit him up. Camera yeah, he got, <laughs> he got social media and talked trash about it too. Right after the fact, exactly. I'm like, uh, it's a little different playing Cameron without people in there. But we'll see how uh, Mr. Love does this year too when he actually gets to go to Cameron 
and play in front of the crazies, which is a little bit of a different type of task. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure those social posts are going to be a lot different on both sides. Should yeah. that outcome be different? But it's still weird to think about fans being that close in tight corners because we absolutely are still in a pandemic. So like that's for yes. me the hard part <laughs> at times when I'm like, okay, yeah, we're back to normal. But no, actually, yeah. you know, North Carolina still has wildly insane numbers. And so I guess we can pretend and like I guess we're going back to like everything status quo. But I'm like, okay, this morning I felt the itch in my throat let me take my tumor shot like if we're gonna have to go through the season like let me make sure i'm straight because if i'm gonna go cover these games i'm going to carolina elizabeth city state and i'm like let me make sure i'm right because i went to late night it was great and i really wanted to support b dot and all that kind of stuff like it was just it was beautiful to see fans like you can't make that kind of stuff up like that's a dream for people like that but especially just to just have a sense of normalcy right like you're like dang finally we can give these fellows all the things that we have come to know, you know, as people who've been at the school, who have you know been fans for years. We can finally give them a little sense of how much people love freaking Carolina Duke NC State mm-hmm. basketball. And I, I was so happy for B Dot. Like I've I've known him for over a decade, and I know he's one of the yeah. biggest Carolina fans that I'm that I'm friends with. And uh, <laughs> late night was like a movie, like for real, like a movie. Like everything that was going on and the images coming out of it, I was just really proud of him and what he was doing. And uh, they couldn't have picked a better person to host it. Uh, find Candace on Twitter, Candace D Cooper at Candace D Cooper. She is the host of the Locked On ACC podcast. We will have her on throughout the ACC season. It's coming up like. Like right around the corner. Like I, I wasn't. Like you blink, <laughs> it's here. Prepared. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, we're starting like in November. What are we doing here? Um, Candace, yeah. always a pleasure having you on, and uh, we will have you back again real soon. Thank you so much, Esma. I really appreciate it. Coming up, more from franchise players here on TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. 